I'm Bertie O'Hearn, Taoiseach of Ireland from 1997 to 2008. And this is an extended interview from the story of the Good Friday Agreement as I remember it. The Democratic Unionist Party, led by the late Reverend Ian Paisley, did not take part in the talks. Peter Robinson took over as leader of the party and served as first minister in the Northern Ireland Assembly from 2008 until 2016. I spoke to him about the party's decision to stay out of the talks. Thanks very much, Peter, for uh, talking to me about this. It was really a conversation looking back in the the last 20, 25 years or or so that we uh, tried to put forward in springtime where we uh, look look back on things that you and I were involved in so much. I suppose, you know, I I tend to look back in the 91, 92 talks um, as, you know, very useful because uh, I wasn't directly involved, but um, at least everyone was setting out their position. But I suppose, Peter, when we we look at it, you know, with the ceasefires in 94, was that really where you felt that there was there was some progress that we could make after such a, a long period where it was very hard because of the violence to make any progress. Well, it certainly was a significant factor, but uh, I think there was still some scepticism within the unionist community as to whether it was uh, a genuine ceasefire or a tactic. Um, I, I think they... The longer it went on as a ceasefire, uh, the more we were able to, to hope that this was something that was going to be permanent. And certainly for uh, Ian at that time, uh, he was always very cautious that he was going to get caught out, that these people would go back to what they do best, uh, and that uh, he would find himself having uh, made some agreement or arrangement and be part of some agreement or arrangement. Uh, and they would go back to, to violence once again. Mm. And I suppose 95 probably showed, 96 showed a bit of that when we went back to Canary Wharf and the Manchester bombing and the, the, the other issues. Um, where, where I come into it in, in 97, uh, I, I suppose the, the issue was, was it permanent? It was a second shot um, at, at the ceasefire. Um, of course, we were all worrying that that might not be, but how did you feel then, for, how, how did the party feel from that summer of 97 when, when the ceasefire came in? And I suppose the government's changed in the South and in, and, and in the UK. Well, again, there, there was that reticence uh, because the IRA hadn't really disbanded. It hadn't gone away. The uh, Sinn Féin was still holding back from giving support to the police and recognising the courts and all of those uh, issues. So there was, there was still this desire to see, you know, are they genuine if they want to be uh, in democratic politics and they have to behave as democratic politicians. So it was still a, a period right even through uh, until, you know, the period when we were the largest party uh, in Northern Ireland. Uh, even then, when we got involved with the IRA, it was very much Dayton style uh, with the governments acting as intermediaries but even then we had reached an agreement with uh, Sinn Féin and at the very last moment we don't know why they they called it off the government had agreed the two governments had agreed the basis of where we'd go forward we'd agreed it was called a comprehensive agreement I think at the, the time 
and Sinn Féin had been working it through right up to that period, but at the last minute pulled out and said that they, they weren't proceeding with it. And then within days, the Northern Bank robbery uh, occurred. So again, you know, <laughs> we, we considered it to be divine intervention at the, the end of it, because if we had reached an agreement and then the bank robbery had uh, occurred, well, clearly the whole thing would have been up in the air. Mm. So there's always this suspicion that mm. uh, they, they hadn't agreed to a lasting ceasefire. Mm. Uh, and I mean, we knew that there was always going to be difficulty with a large organisation to keep everybody uh, in line. But, uh, you know, while that suspicion continued, there was always a doubt in our mind. And uh, we were looking from Sinn Féin to see some uh, indicator that they mm. were prepared to uh, make a concession that would allow unionists to, to feel that this was real. Mm. In, the, in the 97, when we started the, you know, the multi-party talks in, in September of, of 97 um, and, and through that winter, was, was that your main concern? Was that your main concern that, you know, how can you sit in on that, on that deal? And, uh, because if, if you do get tied in, then the whole thing could unravel again. Well, we did sit in at the beginning yeah, at the start, the, yeah. the, the talks, but uh, when Sinn Féin were being allowed in without having made any uh, concession whatsoever, uh, we came out at that stage and indeed it was the, the agreement between the three unionist leaders that they would all come out at that stage, but David Trimble went back on the, the agreement and uh, it was only Bob McCartney and Ian Paisley took their teams out. Yeah, and in in that run in in you know the, those months into the Good Friday Agreement, you know, was the substance of the agreement something that you thought wasn't so bad? That, but it was the concern of, of of the the fact that there was no decommissioning, that there was no no commitment to decommissioning. Was that the main reason why 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 you didn't see that you could stay in? Well, clearly, when you're going into a referendum, you can't be say I'm against this piece and that piece and so forth. Uh, you have to be against the overall uh, agreement. Uh, but from our point of view, uh, we were obviously keen to have an agreement. Uh, we were keen to, to move Northern Ireland forward. But there were, I suppose, a number of aspects of that agreement which were totally unacceptable to us. Um, Sinn Féin would have had uh, ministries with no accountability whatsoever. They could take decisions and that was it. Indeed, that was proven when we went on. They were able to take decisions in spite of the fact that the Assembly voted against it, their committees voted against it, the Executive voted against it uh, by a majority, but they were still, their decisions stood the way it was set up. Mm -hmm. uh, they hadn't given their support to the, the police. Uh, they hadn't recognised our courts. Uh, the, the whole issue of uh, decommissioning had not been dealt with. Uh, and from a unionist point of view, the uh, destruction of uh, the, the, the police force was a big issue as well. Mm -hmm. the, the work on, you know, when it came to the patent report on, on policing at that time, what was your, your, your view on the outcome of that? I mean, it was a fundamental change from, from the police force, but was it something that you were enthusiastic about or did you just think it was too quick? Well, any police service uh, needs to be upgraded from time to time. Uh, there's always improvements uh, needed. You can never be satisfied 
uh, with any organization so there's no difficulty in having a, a reform of an organization but this was a reform for solely political purposes taking away the name of the Royal Ulster Constabulary uh, so again it was a further concession to Sinn Féin without receiving any concession from Sinn Féin mm-hmm. The prisoners issue at the time, Peter, I mean, I presume this was a a big issue for for yourselves. It was a massive uh, issue and it did cause something of a dilemma uh, in that uh, we recognised that there were going to be many loyalist prisoners who were going to be treated in exactly the same way. Mm. Uh, But, you know, uh, representing the, the victims of terrorism. Uh, the the fact that uh, you could serve a minimum of uh, or a maximum of two years mm. you know, it was just unacceptable to, to people um, uh, again a concession to to Sinn Féin yeah after the um, after the referendum in in, in May 98 um, we had to stop start on the on the institutions it took us you know a, a long time where was it that you began to see that there could be some future if we made amendments to the to the original agreements? Well, we've been told all through the referendum campaign and afterwards that uh, this was a done deal. It's the only show in town. It can't be changed and so forth. But uh, you and I have been politics long enough to, to know that uh, things can change very quickly. So we recognise that uh, if we had the electoral mandate, we could get changes. We knew that there were some features of the uh, agreement that we didn't want to touch. We knew there were other features of the agreement that we would like to have had changed, but they were you know, irretrievable. And then there were key issues that uh, were red lines for us. So those were the ones that we focused in on to, to get changed. And those were issues like uh, the starting decommissioning, the issue of uh, the police and the courts, the accountability of ministers to an executive uh, those were the areas where we felt that uh, progress could be made and eventually was yeah and in that election i mean you you laid out the 2003 election you you made a fairly substantial you know manifesto of of the kind of future that you thought you could play a part in um were you surprised at the mandate that you got that time or was it something Which that election you, is this now this is in 2003 2003 yeah yeah, I think that uh, we learned a lesson during that uh, that election campaign. And, and in fact, at the very start of that uh, election, uh, we went out uh, firing both barrels off at uh, the the existing system, uh, and found very quickly on the doorstep that yeah, people agreed with us, but they wanted to know what was the alternative, what was the fair deal that we were were looking for. So. We very much we changed our, our course at the very beginning of that uh, election with the experiences that we had picked up on the doorstep. We brought out seven principles that had to be met uh, and put forward a positive campaign. You know, here are the changes. When these changes are made, then we can go forward. Yeah, and electorally, in, in that election, was a very successful election for uh, for your party. It was. Did you believe at that stage that they were achievable? I mean, you were you were up for, you were up for changing. If if, if I mean, it was a big decision to have to sit down with Sinn Fein and uh, to start working to, to work those yeah. principles through. Well, we actually didn't sit down with Sinn for Fein. a long time. <laughs> I have to say that as I look back, 
the, the one lesson that uh, I have learned is that we should never have allowed that to happen. Mm. We should have been talking directly to uh, Sinn Féin. Uh, difficult though that would have been and uh, many of our supporters wouldn't have liked it. But there was a, an awful lot, I think, slipped between the, uh, the, the two tables because uh, with the greatest respect to both the British and the Irish governments, they have their agendas as well. Anybody who's taking part in those kind of negotiations has an agenda. And I know in my conversations with Martin McGuinness, when we were in the First Minister's office, there were many occasions when he would say to me or I would say to him, why did you not accept this or that? That was never put to us. Uh, so, you know, they, there is no alternative really for a successful outcome uh, to, to having face-to-face -face dialogue, even though there are maybe massive difficulties in having that dialogue. Yeah, well, I think that was, you know, part of the, the even the problem in, in 98, that uh, the amount of meetings where everybody was in the room was so few. Yes. Uh, it, 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 was, it was always um, Tony Blair and I talking to either one party are, and rarely talking to two parties, but never talking to all the parties. Yeah. And I think that continued on right throughout the whole process. Uh, I think that there was also a suspicion, you know, if we show any willingness to be flexible in a certain area and there's no agreement, we'll find ourselves with that in the, in the newspapers that we were willing to consider A, B or C. Uh, and then it's to our detriment in the future. People will bank that as being our position and move on to something further. Yeah. How did you find, you know, after that um, election where you were the, 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 the party with the mandate, Sinn Féin had, had the mandate, you know, it, it, it still took a few years, but did you feel at that stage where, I mean, the violence had stopped for a prolonged period at that stage, the commission still hadn't fully happened, but did you find it more promising that we could really get to to a real solution? Yes, uh, and for Ian, the issue of uh, su support for the police was a massive issue, and it just wasn't on the agenda at all. Um, we could see that there would be a way to resolve the issue of accountability. Uh, in fact, all of the other issues, I think, we could see how they could be resolved. But people just wouldn't talk about the Sinn Féin giving support for the police, and that was a big issue for us. Mm. We were greatly helped by the Americans in that, I have to say. Yeah. They took a, a very strong stand on, on that issue and helped us and put pressure, not, not just on Sinn Féin, but on our own government uh, to, to hold out for that. Uh, Mitchell Reese, I think, was the yeah. envoy at the time, mm. uh, and it was a big issue for, for him. So that was an important issue and probably the most difficult one for us to, to crack. Uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, we had to move from a position where all of the parties had embraced an agreement. They felt some ownership of it. They didn't want to let it go. Uh, and they were wanting to save as much of it as they, they could. Uh, so it did take a, a bit of time to, to shake their hands loose from the you know, line by line uh, of the Belfast uh, Agreement to start considering changes. But when they did, uh, I think at St Andrews things happened reasonably quickly.
Yeah, I was at the uh, American Irish Fund when uh, McCain, who was a presidential candidate, um, issued uh, in the presence of Sinn Féin a really broadside about that you know violence could not continue. I think it was after the um, uh, when, when the McCartney um, yes. murder in Belfast, um, they, they took a very strong line that you know violence was no longer acceptable. Yes. Um those were the kind of issues that made it difficult uh, for us, you know. All it took was some idiot up the country or in Belfast doing something that whether the leadership approved of it or not, and I suspect they wouldn't have, uh, it had a, a massive impact. The ripples just ran through the political mm. process mm. Uh, and set us back. Mm. The, when we got down to decommission, I think it was 2003, when decommission was more or less... And completed um, to our to our satisfaction. Um, at that stage, you, you know, would we still had to get a, a long way till 2006 before we we got to St Andrews. You know, during those years of four 2004 2005, what what, what was your view at, at at that time? Well, we were just whittling away at elements of the uh, agreement, so there was a, a long period. I mean, they were never going to have a St Andrews agreement until they felt that there was sufficient potential uh, in the dialogue that was ongoing at that uh, period for bringing everybody together and to, to, to have enough that would get an agreement. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it may seem a long period of time, but literally every week and several days and every week we would have been involved in discussions uh, with the, the government uh, and uh, dealing with one matter or another. And then there was to the, the side uh, the so-called confidence building measures. So you had two sets of agreements going on, uh, one for the, the core of the constitutional arrangement and the, the second was, uh, you know, what brings confidence to your community and what can be done to to boost that uh, confidence to, to make a, an agreement more palatable, more likely to stick. Did, did you feel at that stage that like the executive had been stop-start and the assembly obviously had been stop-start, did, did you think it, it, you know, if we got the changes that you needed at that stage that we could make the assembly and the executive stable or is that something was not the biggest issue on the agenda. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we always talked about uh, a stable and lasting executive. So that's what we were were looking for, and that needed everybody to to buy into the process. And there had been this uh, doctrine that had uh, prevailed up until that period of time of constructive ambiguity. <clears throat> and we never thought that constructive at all. Uh, we knew it might get you over the day's problems, but somewhere further down the line, uh, it was going to jump up and bite you. Uh, so we wanted everybody not just to have signed an agreement, but to be sure that uh, we all understood in the same terms what that agreement meant. Yeah. Uh, and that's always more difficult because... Uh, ambiguity was what the the government felt was best at this time and further down the road people have built up sufficient uh, confidence in each other that they'll they'll be able to deal with whatever further changes are necessary. Mm. When we got to that date of 13th of October 2006 in St Andrews when 
I think we, we, we had fairly intensive dialogue around really around your issues, around, around the issues that you had been at that stage for over three years putting forward. Um, it, there was a feeling, I think, that you know, Sinn Féin and yourselves, that the atmosphere had changed. I mean, I, I certainly felt that the atmosphere has changed, that uh, Ian, your, yourself and your, your, your leadership team, um, that, that the, the, the old arguments with Sinn Féin were, were moving away, that we, we could actually do real business. Yeah, uh, again, looking back at uh, our own mistakes, I think the big mistake that we made at that time was uh, a lack of preparation of the unionist community for a deal. Um, you know, even as he was walking into St Andrews, uh, you know, Ian was talking about sackcloth and ashes and so forth. Um, you know, there, there didn't appear on the entrance of the negotiation team that this was the team that was going to come out having agreed something. Uh, and I think that the community was rather surprised when at the end of it there was at least uh, an indication that we had a package that we were prepared to take back to our party. Mm. Uh, so I think that was one mistake. There wasn't enough preparation of the community that a deal could be done. Uh, I think the, the second issue was that we should... Uh, we were taken uh, by surprise by having made an agreement with the government to find that we were sitting in the around the table on the final day, waiting for Sinn Féin to come in, and waiting for uh, the Prime Minister to come in, only to discover days afterwards that the agreement had been changed without our knowledge. Um, and uh, that, I think, uh, caused problems certainly in later years. Uh, and this was over issues like the Irish Language Act which were inserted by the government without our knowledge after we had reached an agreement. Uh, so now, the fact that we, we had the ability to go back to our party uh, left it back in our hands again, but uh, it, it wasn't part of the stuff that we had agreed uh, at St Andrews. Mm -hmm. uh, however, there was this uh, group within the, the party uh, who I think were just hoping that there would not be an agreement. Uh, so there was always this discourse within the, the party, can't trust these people, don't do a deal, you're going to get caught out. Um, and that of course came to a head after when uh, the, the party executive decided to go ahead with the, uh, the agreement and a, a swathe of the, the party, not a large one, but a swathe of the party decided it would go its own way. Mm. And in, in, as we come into 2007 and, you know, into, it was the end of, of Tony Blair's reign and, and when we, we actually got to a position where uh, Martin McGuinness and, and, you know, Ian Paisley and uh, the rest of us were there to, there's, there seemed to be a, a really <coughs> a fair wind behind the St. Andrews Agreement then that we could really make real progress. Yes. Uh I think an awful lot of that was we had reached a stage where Ian and I were convinced that they were serious about leaving violence behind. Uh, we still felt that there would be hiccups along the, the way because of the, the structure of the organisation. 
but I don't think we had any doubt that the leadership was up for it. Uh, and as soon as Ian was satisfied about that, uh, he was prepared to throw himself into it and did. Um, but it's one thing, of course, uh, being in agreement with, uh, with others as to what the setup should be. Working it is the real test uh, because problems arise daily and have to be overcome and the executive uh, was a divided executive in many ways because Sinn Féin were looking over their shoulders at the SDLP we were watching out to see what the Ulster Unionist Party was doing uh, if there had been two parties in the executive it would have been easier to run uh, but when you have your political opposition and then on your your vote the people who are after your vote, supposedly on your side, then it becomes more difficult to, to organise. And uh, uh, as time went on, I think it became more and more evident that uh, Sinn Féin and the DUP were going to have to take the lead to, together, that we weren't going to get help uh, from the, the other parties and the, the executive uh, because they were looking to the next uh, election. And some, I mean, I don't blame any party in, in politics uh, you know, we had spent our lifetime uh, snapping at the Ulster Unionist Party's heels, so we could hardly complain if they were doing that with us. But I think it, it brought the realisation that uh, we were going to have to work together to get uh, anything done. Mm. And that was a successful period. I mean, whatever happened up to then or happened subsequently, I mean, that, that few years was a very successful period. I mean, there was a lot of good work done by the by the executive the assembly seemed to function well and you know I, th I think you know investment started improving i think tourists started you know it was that yeah. period that people looked at at well, the progress we were unfortunate in some ways Bertie, because uh we managed after all of these years when we were expecting a peace dividend to collide into a global recession uh which meant that there was a contraction in terms of what business opportunities there would be. So while we got off to a start, it came to a halt very quickly because of the recession uh, and we were therefore managing our economy. Uh, and the other financial difficulty we had was that the British government was delighted that an agreement had been done, but it wasn't exactly uh, opening up the purse strings to, to give us the basis upon which we could go to the people and say, look, this makes a difference. Mm. This is good for you. Mm. So uh, things were tight financially, which made, uh, and whatever is happening to a person's pocket, they blame on the government at the time, and in this case, the system of government. So it, it was difficult enough to ride through that uh, period. Um, mm. And of course, as far as getting things done at Stormont was concerned, we, we had built so many safeguards into the system that uh, you know, even to get a budget through you had to go into months of public consultation after you had announced what your budget was. Uh, everything was it's a really slow system mm -hmm. uh, of government. Getting decisions was a slow process. Mm -hmm. So you weren't seeing the changes quickly enough. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that was to our detriment as well. Mm. Structurally, just looking at the, the format, I, in, in 98, you know, we, we believed that having everybody in government and no opposition as normally would happen 
was the right thing to do because it, it was a period of trying to settle down and you know build up trust and confidence but in, in your view was were, were there inherent mistakes in in, in that system of, of trying no, to I, I don't say there are mistakes mm. there was uh, a very positive side to it and a negative side as well mm. uh, but what was the the job the job was to get people to buy into uh, a new era uh, to feel ownership of the uh, the structures and uh, the institutions so uh, i think it was right that we had a system that everybody could feel that they had a part in it uh, so uh, i'm not complaining that the, the system was such that uh, it was wrong or we we could have necessarily done better i'm just saying that that kind of system uh, is a slow onerous system to, to operate mm -hmm. and makes it uh, very difficult to get fast decisions through. Yeah. I, I, I often felt that, you know, perhaps in, in, in the former government that I was used of, that where the finance department has a, probably a lion's share of control um, and they kind of force everybody else into their framework that, uh, you know, the, the, the system of advisors and trying to uh, to build that longer system was maybe too cumbersome and you know may, may, maybe it, it was done for a reason I know but um, in, in the system I was used of Minister Finance kind of tells his colleagues <laughs> the, the road that they're going and there's not a prolonged period but we, we, we felt at the time I think in the structures that that wouldn't work that it would it would only lead to dissent. Well uh, I was the uh the honeymoon finance yeah. minister, which was hugely to my advantage. Uh, I got my budget through without amendment, uh, got it through without a row, because other parties hadn't experience in government. Uh, they were keen to get things moving. Of course, it was a wonderful budget anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, as soon as they caught on that actually we can have a negotiating process uh, at a budget time uh, then it became much more difficult in subsequent years but the first year the budget went through quite easily uh, mm. in fact um, I, I think the the problem that we we had in the the early days is that any legislation going through literally you need probably 18 months to get a bill through under the system that we had set up so people weren't going to see changes quickly uh, and uh, the, the structure of the statutory committees that mm. they had to go through, every piece of legislation was subject to a statutory committee. Everything was slowing the process uh, down. It meant everybody was having their say. Uh, anybody who, <coughs> who wanted to could uh, put forward papers and uh, many were brought to give oral evidence to the, the committee. So it was a, a, a very inclusive process but it was slow. Yeah. Um, am I wrong to think that the um, after years of, of the civil service effectively having total control uh, that bringing in a political dimension to it uh, and the kind of systems that we operated wasn't maybe the, the best way of doing things? Yes, I, I remember uh, on one occasion I was uh, I think Minister for Regional Development at the time uh, uh, leading civil servant saying, Minister, you can't do that. Mm. Uh, it was only said once and never said again uh, for reasons which might be obvious, 
but that was um, part of the process, a civil service that had effectively run the country mm. because the direct rule ministers would have come in maybe one day in the, the week to do any essential business, uh, sign their letters, um, whatever it was that they, they had to do, be seen around the province. Mm. Uh, but the civil service were here all the time and they were effectively running the show. So I, I'm, I make it very clear that for, from the civil service point of view, they saw, saw it as a, a positive development that they actually had ministers who were going to be there that they could consult with on a, a regular basis. But uh, the, there was some of the the old, you know, you can't do that minister uh, yeah. still around. And the, of course, from the point of view of the, the civil service, uh, if you've been doing it for a very long period of time, it's hard to get out of the, the habit of continuing to do it. Yeah. They just go back on the on the policing. I know how difficult the decision was of '98, and you know the, the reform of the policing and the the whole change of of name and what what that meant um, to the people of Unionist tradition uh, and the Patent Commission. As we worked through, I know I, I spent the endless hours with Jerry Kelly, who who took the the kind of the, the negotiating position right through, and the leadership position for Sinn Fein in that issue at at the at the end of that period, on, on, and after the acceptance, where I know you worked to force a position where there'd be acceptance, but do, do you think we, we got a good balance in the end in, in, in how policing worked? Well, I suppose the best way to judge that is how are things today? Things have worked reasonably well. Uh, again, I say you, you never get the perfect system, whatever that may, may be, but it worked. Uh, even when we came down to the policing board having to agree what symbol, what should the badge of the police service of Northern Ireland be, uh, they actually agreed it. Mm. Now, symbols are very important in Northern Ireland and to end up with a, a symbol that the diverse board of the PSNI uh, was able to uh, agree on was quite an achievement. Yeah. And and as you said, it's 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 worked it's worked well now, and it's, it's looked on as a, a very good police service internationally. I think it's a yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think that you hear any complaints about the the, the structure and the way it's set up. Uh, the you know policing is at the the very front of a very difficult situation mm. on many occasions. So yeah. there'll always be people who complain about a particular yeah. action mm. uh, or a particular decision that's uh, taken. Yeah. But by and large, I think yeah. the, the whole community can rely on the police force uh, being there whenever they need it. Yeah. When I look back, Peter, I, and, 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 and in this series we're looking back, um, I, I always feel that uh, the the section decommissioning in the agreement to, the trouble was we put it in but we didn't work out how it would happen and then we, we it, it caused us five painful years of of trying to make progress and um, the same on legacy i i felt that uh, i did at one stage uh, float the idea of the south african model i had spent the whole day with the clerk um, looking at the peace and reconciliation and floated. There were no takers for that uh, back in 98, 99, 2000. I'm, I'm talking about that period. Um, I, I just fear that legacy doesn't go away. It, it, it's, it's, it's how do we... It, it's, I, I know you put a lot of effort in and the Stormont House Agreement, but it, it, still, it still is something 25 years on that's, that's going to, to hang on us, I think. 
Yes, uh, well we actually got an agreement uh, with all of the political parties uh, on the, the, the way forward. Um, I, I think in real terms everybody knows how difficult it is ever going to be to get any prosecution, never mind a conviction, uh, for any of the historic troubles offences. But it's still important to many of the victims that the hope is still there. Uh, whether some new scientific you know, DNA came out and uh, it changed, uh, uh, it meant a number of convictions came because of uh, the new scientific knowledge yeah. that was available. So there's still this lingering hope that maybe justice will be, be done. Uh, my view is that justice will be done, but perhaps not on this earth. Yeah, well, it it it, it still is. It is still on on the economy side. Um, I know you've spent a, a lot of your 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 political life, you know, to see the Northern Ireland economy built up, and and just there were a few things that I was hoping earlier on. I I did hope that IDA and Invest Northern Ireland would would work closer together, and um, because from my own experience, when you were abroad. You might as well have been working for one as as all for for the whole island. Um, are are there things that you think over the years that 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 perhaps we didn't do, maybe we still should do to try and you know help employment? I mean, we're back into a period now where you know that's the future. We don't know where the tech world will go or the finance world, but are there things we can do for the for the whole country that don't change the constitutional position that or create problems for the constitutional position? Well, I think there, there was a, a very strong view, certainly even within uh, in Best Northern Ireland, that uh, you know we were competitors. Uh, it would be almost impossible for us if we were going out together to, to search for, for business to decide whether it should be located in Galway or Tyrone. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, there would have been massive difficulties, never mind the, the uh, constitutional problems that there would have been. Uh, and I think we've seen in more recent times that as soon as you try to merge economies, it's, uh, it seemed to be part of a process uh, towards changing the constitutional mm -hmm. status. So I think there would have been many difficulties. Uh, and we, we started to build up a very good relationship with the, the South. Um, and certainly in my days uh, as First Minister, uh, we had a freedom in the North-South meetings that hadn't existed before, uh, where everybody was uh, you know, getting very legalistic about what could be talked about and what could not be talked about. So we got past that by having uh, on the agenda introductory remarks uh, and although they were never down for decisions, uh, it meant that we could talk about a whole range of issues that affected us both. And uh, you know, we didn't have to worry about where the, 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 the lines were in that case because no decisions were being taken. Uh, but it certainly decisions were taken uh, as a result of the discussions that we had when we saw that uh, things could be to our mutual advantage. Mm. Did you find the North South meetings useful uh, you know were they effective yes uh, at, at that stage well I, 
I had built up a good relationship uh, with uh, the, uh, in my finance minister's time uh, with a, my opposite number. I think there are always things you can learn from the experiences of others who are doing the same kind of job as you. Yeah. Uh, and it's foolish to, to, to think that you know it all uh, and everybody else is getting it wrong. There are always things that you can benefit from from the knowledge that they have. But in terms of Northern Ireland, uh, there were many occasions when there were problems arising that we were able to resolve. Uh, and in my view, by the time uh, I was leaving with uh, Enda Kenny, I think that from a unionist point of view, we had had the best relationship that we ever had or even have had since uh, with the, the South. Uh, it was working well, there wasn't any threat seemed, uh, seen in what we were doing, uh, but we were, we were getting on. We, we recognised the, the advantage of working together on certain areas. My last question, uh, Peter, and again, thanks for, for your time and appreciate you, you um, participating in this series. Um, Martin McGuinness, a, a good friend of yours, a good friend of mine, we, um, and not as past, we won't go into the, all the debates and arguments about that, but as a, a political colleague, or was he a, a, good, a good political colleague? And he, I think you, you've already said you were convinced that they were anxious to move forward in a peaceful way. Well, my advice to, to anybody who finds themselves in that kind of situation where uh, they, have, they have to work with somebody that uh, they have been opposed to uh, in the most strident fashion uh, in previous years, is to search what have we got in common. And Martin and I found out very quickly that uh, we were both massive sports fans. It didn't matter what the sport was, we had been watching it uh, and we would spend our Monday morning when everybody outside thought that we were working hard on uh, getting uh, resolved the problems of Northern Ireland, we'd be talking about uh, the, the weekend sport. Uh, and you, you build up a relationship with people on that kind of ground. You recognize that uh, they have something in common with you and you, you go beyond that and start talking about their, their families and so forth. So you build up that, uh, it's more than a working relationship. Uh, and you know, Martin was probably the best choice that Sinn Féin could have had for First Minister. He was the easiest of the Sinn Féin members, I think, uh, to be doing business with. Uh, so it worked out well. And in fairness to Martin, um, I don't think Martin ever came out to say that uh, I'm sorry about my past. But I think by the actions that he took in government, his enthusiasm for making it work, he was in fact saying just that. Mm. Thanks very much, Peter, and appreciate your time. Thank you.